One Custom Car Care. Good morning and welcome. We got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, you have been busy. You want to tell the story? If it isn't one thing, it is always another, yeah. I swear. <laughs> I am not a reckless driver, neither is my husband. <clears throat> so on Thursday, I was on my way home from filming a client video, mm. which I'm going to do a shout out here. I yeah. was filming for Two Bar D Beef Company. So Heck if yeah. you are out there looking for someone who sells halves or holes beef, I highly recommend them. They are fantastic. So I didn't, I have never heard of them before you had spoke about them. And definitely like the moment you mentioned it, I'm like, yep, I need to look into that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They so, are well fantastic. Done. And so they're based out of Marshfield. Local. Love I, it. Yes. And they are fifth generation. But uh, I digress. I was on my way home from Marshfield. Mm -hmm. And I had just gotten gas, and I decided that I was going to take the old road. I have two <laughs> options to go home. I either have the old road or I have the highway. Okay. Typically, I take the highway, but I decided to take the old road. And it was dark, and I was driving down the road. And next thing you know, a deer jumps out oh, out of nowhere and hits my car. Mm. I know. So it took me a second to like realize what happened because it happened so fast yeah. and I was able to get over safely, killed the deer. So yeah. that's kind of a, a positive in this story because <laughs> it really, it made me mad, Yeah, but I was able to pull over safely, take a look at my vehicle. Thankfully there was no leaks underneath it. So no immediate danger right there. My car wasn't overheating. So Excellent. no immediate danger there. Yep. My tires were okay. Nothing was rubbing up against them. No immediate danger there. Well done. I know. Look at me, yeah, right? It's like sure. I am a co-host on an automotive <laughs> show or something. <laughs> well done. That's so awesome. I was able to get all of that taken uh, care of and taken a look at and there was significant damage done to the front end mm -hmm. of my vehicle, specifically on the driver's side mm -hmm. of my vehicle. It took out my headlight, uh, did a pretty good dent on my hood, and then just completely ruined the whole front uh, that is kind of protecting the radiator. Yeah, kind of the bumper area. Yes. So the husband, he came with the, the kiddo. The kiddo wasn't in the vehicle, That's, by the way. Goodness. Yes. So I, every time I tell this story, everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm glad you're okay. But what about the kid? <laughs> it's amazing how that changes. I know. So, uh, yes, the kiddo was at home with the husband. So he was able to follow me home to make sure that if I had any issues, he was right there with uh -huh. me. So that is kind of the situation that I wow. got. I know. It's a little traumatic going through something like that. You're minding your own business, you know, mm -hmm. listen to the radio. I wasn't even listening to oh, the radio. Weren't. No, I was driving in complete silence. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was disrupted. I know. So I have seen a ton of deer this year. Have you noticed other yes. than that? Oh. Clearly. So when the husband came to my rescue... Yeah. As soon as he pulled up, he pulled up on the other side of the road. So his headlights were kind of facing the opposite way, the okay. wrong way if yeah. you were coming up on me. And when he did that, six deer, including a couple little babies, came out from behind my vehicle oh my and crossed the road. They're definitely moving. So yes. I guess the word of the wise is, is Sarah has found out, unfortunately, is they are moving yes. very, very much. And we are in deer hunting season mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, it's definitely, that is the season. So 
Did you turn your hazards on? I got to ask a couple. Of I these. did. Excellent, yes. Excellent. Did you have much traffic out there? I guess you were on the old road, so probably a lot less traffic, which was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was maybe three or four vehicles. Okay. We were parked for maybe ten or fifteen minutes. Mm. As... So you were pretty close to home then. Yes, I was about <laughs> I was about a mile oh, and a half no. away. You know, all of these things typically do mm-hmm. happen whenever you are close to home. Yep. So thankfully, I wasn't too terribly far away. But yeah, I was about a mile and a half away and we were out there for maybe 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. minutes just kind of doing an evaluation if my vehicle was going to be safe to drive which we deemed that it was but yeah there was maybe four or five vehicles a lot of people slowed down Uh, a couple people hollered and asked if we needed any help we said no i love I love living in this part of the country yes. that folks will do that. Mm-hmm. So, That's awesome. Yes. So that was kind of the, the situation. Dang. I know. So you were able to drive away, which is great. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you did a really good assessment of, you know, whether it was drivable or not. I see a lot of times there'll be, you know, maybe if you don't do a good assessment and you have fluid leakage or whatever, there's kind of some collateral damage that if you drive it and it overheats or anything. So you guys did a rock star job making sure it was in good shape. Um, so what happens now? What's what's the game plan? You found a good uh, body shop, I guess it sounds like, and you're going to kind of go through that. How has the insurance situation been so far? Well, this is my first time ever hitting a deer. I've only been in one other accident my entire life, mm-hmm. and thankfully, my insurance has been fantastic awesome. so far I love uh, to hear that. on both sides of this. So I was able to go ahead and make a claim that mm-hmm. night, got my claim number, and the very next day, they recommended an auto body shop for me. I was able to go in there, which they are actually listeners of KSGF. So that's kind of neat. Sounds like great people. Yeah, of course. So I was able to go in there. He gave me a rough estimate. The insurance company also gave me a rough estimate. Mm -hmm. So they're going to work together on on that end. And then I've went ahead and I've asked tons of questions. My main concern was what if whenever the automotive or the auto body shop gets in there and they start doing all of the repairs and they've noticed that maybe there is a mechanical issue. That was a big concern for me because they're not going to be able to really tell until they actually Mm -hmm. get hands on and kind of get to see what's going on once they peel all of that away. So my insurance company told me that they do something called subletting. Mm -hmm. Is this something you're familiar with? Oh yeah. So we actually here in Springfield, now you're north of town, so you're getting all that taken care of up there, which is awesome. It sounds like that would be a good contact to have. But here in town, we do a lot on the mechanical side when they get into a situation that is not cosmetic related. And and a lot of your body shops are very capable of doing some of the parts changing. But to your point, if it needed a radiator or had gotten into some things that wasn't really in their wheelhouse, they'll bring it to a mechanical shop. We'll knock that stuff out. And it sounds like that's kind of what they're going to do up there. And then they'll put Humpty Dumpty all back together again and make it look pretty again. So that's a very normal procedure, and body different body shops vary. Some of the body shops will do some of that mechanical stuff, and then if you're somebody that just specializes in the cosmetic work, then you'll sublet to somebody like us. So 
Yes. So I was a little concerned about that. I don't think that anything is wrong Mm -hmm. with it mechanically. That being said, I am not in the automotive field, so I don't know. But I think that it's okay. Safe than sorry, for sure. Yes. Because you look and plan to drive that vehicle for a lot more years, I assume. Yeah, and longer for (laughs) two months. (laughs) Is that all you've had it? Has it Uh, been just a couple of months? Maybe it's been four months now. Yeah, I knew it had been pretty recent. Yeah. And you guys... Went through kind of the gambit, made sure you bought a good car, and and I'm, it's still a very good car, but just going to need to give it some love and, and make it look pretty again. I know. Well, that'll be okay. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's kind of a damper, though. Yeah. I think that everything kind of happens in uh-huh. threes, though, so this is kind of our third automotive okay. thing. You know, we had the, the tire situation yes. with the husband, and then he has kind of a, I would consider it... A moderate repair Mm -hmm. that needs to be done on his vehicle. So that's number two. Mm -hmm. And then this would be number three. So I think (laughs) we're in the clear. So maybe we'll win like the Powerball or something now. Something good has to happen. Absolutely. (laughs) And it it definitely is the season. So while we were on break, uh, my work truck, as you well know, has got a giant steel range hand bumper on the front of it. Mm -hmm. And I was looking to see if they had one for your vehicle. Oh, yeah. I'm really a fan of that. So I actually did hit a deer here about this time last year. And, you know, I, I didn't swerve. You know, they, they say that if you're coming up on a deer, which I really didn't have time even to think about swerving, run out in the headlights. And I thought, oh, man, you know. But I have that humongous steel ranch hand bumper on there, and it basically dealt with the deer and, and you know, Really didn't even uh, cause any damage at all. And so I'm a big fan of some kind of grill guard or protective, I say, skin or covering around the front of the vehicle. Because on these late model vehicles, as you well know, they crumble pretty easily. Even if you, you know, I'm sure you weren't going overly fast on that, that old road. Um, thankfully, you weren't had you been out on the big road and been doing 60 or 65. It, it could have easily came into the vehicle yeah. with me and it could have totaled my vehicle. Yeah. So thankfully, you were going a little bit slower and, and they are out on. I see them on James River and Highway 65 and 44 all the time. It's definitely, um, you know, the faster you go, the more damage. But on late model vehicles, they really do kind of crumble or break to pieces. So I'm a big proponent of those ranch hand big old bumpers. On I the need front. one of those. Yeah. yeah I'll see if I can convince the husband. There you go. <laughs> I think you should both get one. He should have one on his truck I know. Too. Well, I am currently driving his vehicle, so maybe I'll go and get one of those installed. There you go. How's it been driving the truck now for a little while? You Is know, it... uh, I don't like it. Oh, really? <laughs> you miss your car already. I do. I set up taller, which I, yep. I do like. But I'm not used to having that much Mm -hmm. extra behind me. I'm not used to having a truck bed. So that's kind of been interesting. It takes me a couple tries. And his truck's a little truck, Mm -hmm. too. But it does take me a couple tries to get where I'm going. It definitely makes a difference. You know, I have always driven larger pickup trucks. And, you know, occasionally uh, get like Stacy's got a Honda Element. And so when I park, it is so much easier to park. Like, Just night and day difference, but I digress. We are up against our first break. After this, we'll kind of get into what you do if you are broke down, kind of on the side of the road, collision or mechanical. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back, Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. So this is something you and I have talked a lot, Sarah, is being stuck on the side of the road. And essentially, kind of, that's where you were at. Yep. 
thankfully you were on a good road. You were able to get off the road to a safe um, destination, and you were able to get help pretty quick because your husband was just right up the road. Yes. So any lessons to be learned or, you know, was there any thoughts like, oh, you know, you got to make sure A, and stay out of traffic. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. B, you got your hazards on right away, which is awesome. Any other like strobing lights that you could put on is always a big one. And then being into a safe spot, I think, is a good discussion. So you pretty much checked all the boxes, it sounds like. Yes. So I pulled, um, I, whenever I hit the deer... It took me a second to realize like what actually had happened Mm -hmm. because it jumped out in front of me. I immediately braked Mm -hmm. because it was kind of like one of those like Halloween horror things where something jumps out in front of you. You (laughs) know what I'm talking about? (laughs) That's what it reminded me of. So I hit it and I like closed my eyes because I thought, oh, crap, it might come into my vehicle, which it didn't, thankfully. Mm -hmm. And then I like drove for like i don't know maybe 10 seconds after i hit it and then my brain was like i have to pull over i have to take a look at what's going on with my vehicle like i just hit a deer so i was able to pull over to a person's kind of driveway mailbox area they had kind of a a pull off over to the side so thankfully they also had a yard light Mm -hmm. and i was able to have that light from the yard light so you could see my vehicle sure. plus i had the uh the hazards on and then whenever i got out of the vehicle i went ahead and i turned my head li- or my phone light on mm-hmm. and whenever i was talking on the phone because i called ryan to come and save me and i went ahead and i put him on speakerphone while i also had my phone light on Excellent. so anybody who came across me if they just happened to not see my hazards and not see my vehicle they could at least see that little light kind of moving around mm-hmm. and i stayed pretty well out of the traffic area in case they weren't paying attention i think that is extremely wise uh you know collateral accidents after the fact a lot of times and if you're just sitting in the car and i realize we're kind of coming up on winter and crappy weather etc but you know, stalled vehicles, I'm sure I'm not the only one that sees those traffic cam accidents where people aren't paying attention, even with the hazards on and all kinds of stuff, and then they run into a stalled car. Mm-hmm. So if you can get out of the car and get away from it, if it's not drivable in this instance, I think is a very wise decision. So if you're ever finding yourself out there in this instance, and you do hopefully have good clothes on, good footwear, you can stay warm through winter, Get away from the stalled vehicle if it's at all in the line of traffic. So well done there. Any kind of extra lighting or anything reflective, even road flares that, you know, you can come up with. Uh, speaking of that, that's probably going to be one of the things that I'm picking up uh, because of this discussion. I'd like to have some extra equipment there just in case you're ever in that instance. Again, I stop and help a lot of people broke down on the side of the road. So I see how close the close calls can get sometimes, and it's very scary. And then my other kind of advice in this instance really doesn't apply to your accident because your car was drivable, but a lot of the times people have flat tires, they will not drive on the wheel, which is good because you can damage the wheel very, very quickly. But I would much rather, in my and this is just my opinion, I would rather drive to a safe place and replace a wheel 
then change one in an area that I'm potentially getting run over, which I have done many times over the years with stopping and helping folks. It's always better just to drive a little bit to somebody's driveway or hopefully a parking lot or just a better visibility place than right on the side of the road because it's, man, it is not fun. You guys, I guess, ended up doing that here a couple weeks ago where Ryan had some issues with his truck. Yeah. The first time, because Ryan had two separate incidents with his flat tire. One was on the actual side of Highway 65, which thankfully he was able to get to a safe location. But that's always scary whenever you're on the highway. Did he have his crew with him on that one? Was that the one that he had? Yeah. Yeah, So he had a couple of military (laughs) members that that were following him. He was on his way home from drill and they were able to help him out with that. That's awesome. Um, So he called in the Navy. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second time uh, we were on our road. Man, our road is unlucky. Yeah, I guess now that you're kind of connecting the dots here, you've had a little <laughs> bit going on there. Yeah. So he was able to thankfully pull over to, I guess it would be like a like a little parking lot for this guy. He owns like a little fix-it, do-it-yourself shop. Nice. And so he was able to kind of pull into his parking lot and... He was safe there Good. while he was changing his tire the second yeah. time. It, it, you know, it, it's always stressful to be in those situations, and it's not planned, and it's not fun, and you're like, what am I going to do? And so it's really easy to kind of overlook some of that little stuff, but getting out of traffic because you don't want to be expecting that other people are paying attention is probably the best and nicest way I can put that. And another thing oh. that you have to worry about, too, which I kind of saw while I was stranded on the road was Mm -hmm. you will have sometimes people who will see you Mm -hmm. and then they'll drive really slow to like see what's going on. Yeah, the gawkers and rubberneckers. And then there will be other people not paying attention whatsoever and they'll just kind of run up on them, which I had a couple people that were kind of gawking and then there was other people that were speeding down our road. Mm -hmm. I actually ran into that. There was a, it was a truck driver. He was stalled and I was flashing my lights at the oncoming traffic and I would watch their brake lights. They didn't even pay any attention until they were right up on that driver. And I'm like, man, you guys got to be more careful. Um, and to that point, you can't take for granted that peop- other people are going to be paying attention. You know, God forbid they're texting and driving or they're watching stupid things on their phone while they're driving or just in their own la-la land world. And so really kind of to the same aspect that a motorcycle rider needs to be very defensive. If you're stuck on the side of the road, you really got to be careful. I've spent enough time doing roadside service that I really appreciate our roadside service folks because it is a very dangerous job mainly because people don't pay a doggone attention. And I don't want to just get out on my soapbox here, but, you know, I've, I don't want any of you out there. And if you have younger drivers as well in your household, you really need to be educating them as, uh, you know, as much as possible because they're going to be stuck somewhere without you. And so we've got several younger kids in our household that, you know, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I want you to do. When this happens, this is how you're going to handle it. So you need to coach them so they know. We had an instance, it wasn't quite the same, but one of the lessons I had in our household is, hey, uh, one of the kids' car started to overheat, and they were in Nixa, and we lived probably about 15 minutes from Nixa. They went ahead and pushed it all the way home and just said, oh, I got to get home. Well, thankfully, at this point, I don't think any collateral damage to the engine happened. 
However, it very much could have been, and I've seen it time and time again, where you have a very simple overheat and it turns into a catastrophic failure of the engine due to this overheat. So, you know, that was a lesson learning experience for us in the household. Hey, if the car is not doing something or it's doing something it's not supposed to, whichever side of the coin we're on, you got to stop. Especially if it's a red light on the dash, that is catastrophic. That's an immediate stop. So brake um I'm sorry, yes, red brake light. If it's a red oil light or a red overheat, those are all stop right now events, as well as if you hit something out in the road. Obviously, <laughs> you had to take a break and assess the situation, which is awesome. So you got to be educating everybody so, you, so they know what to do when they get in those situations. You know, we think we just get in the car and we're always driving and everything's going well, and it's just not the case. It's, it's just not going to do it that way. So... Definitely glad you guys were safe and got through all that stuff. And it sounds like you're well on the way to taking care of business and getting it taken care of from there. Yeah, so it was definitely a scary situation. I'm thankful that my insurance company has been awesome mm-hmm. to, to handle all of this because this isn't something that I deal with every day. No. This is, you know, something they deal with every day. And they're really awesome at coaching me through, like, this is the steps. This is what's going to happen next. Don't worry about it. But, you know, it is scary whenever... You don't have accidents, yeah. and this is nothing that is new to me, you mm-hmm. know, or something that's new to me, rather, because I haven't ever hit a deer before. Yeah, and nobody's ever planning on that stuff. Exactly, it's, yeah. You know, to that insurance agent or whoever, the adjuster, they're, this is their daily grind, mm-hmm. just no different than you with the, the radio here. Um, but somebody that's, you know, not doing this all the time and all the switches and buttons and all that stuff, there's a lot going on, so... It's good to have somebody in your corner, but we're down at the bottom of the hour. We're going to pick it up on the other side. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right. Welcome back. Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, do you have some uh, questions out there? I do. I have a couple of them. Okay. So I'll start with the smaller question okay. first. Okay. So last week we were talking about stockpiling. We talked about the diesel shortage oh, yes, that's sure. happening and just different ways that we can make sure that our wallet isn't hurting as bad mm-hmm. with all this inflation. Oh my. So uh, somebody texted in and said, you were mentioning stockpiling oil. Mm-hmm. Well, what about the filters and air filters? Oh yeah. I mean, I think you could almost basically fill in the blank at this point, you know, of what you want to stockpile. So I would strongly recommend filters of any kind because unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at this, a lot of those are being imported or have been being imported for many years. So the manufacturing is not here in the United States. And so there's this huge lag. So for instance, um, I have and am planning to keep my 7.3 Power Stroke forever. And I ordered a case of filters for it instead of ordering just one filter when I needed it because I know I'm going to use them. And I'm also betting that it's probably going to be more expensive the next time I have to go buy them. So I have a full case of, well, it's not full anymore because I've done some service on it, but I have the filters there. So if you do your own service work, that's awesome. If you know you're going to be keeping the vehicle, I'm going to order some extra filters for it as well as the oil. So, yeah, I strongly agree. If you know you're going to need something with the way inflation is going, and this is not financial advice, but I think this is pretty obvious, it's probably going to be more expensive down the road right now. I don't see we're going to get into a 
huge price recession at some point. We might. Uh, we'll just have to see. But everything that I'm buying the last two years, it's more expensive the next time that I need it. So if you're going to be using it, you might as well have some extra backups. My uh, my favorite thought is one is none, two is one, and three is where you want to be. So that's kind of... So say they want to go ahead and mm-hmm. kind of stockpile and yeah. purchase some things. Is there a good way to preserve those, like a good shelf life? So as long as you keep them in a somewhat dry environment, you're okay. going to be in good shape. So even if your garage isn't uh, heated or cooled, that's not going to hurt most of that stuff. Um, I just dampness is probably one of the biggest things. You don't want a, a lot of moisture in those systems. So, and they don't take up a lot of room. My only concern about oil is you want to put it in an area that if God forbid it leaks somewhere, it's not damaging something. So you need to be mindful about that because that can be a quite a mess to clean up. Okay. Here is your next one. Okay. And I know that this one will probably be long winded yeah. for you. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, so our listener said, Dustin, my wife would like to start shopping for a three to five year old Jeep. Are there any models that are, quote, bulletproof, decent or should be avoided? The thought of buying a new vehicle only for it to burn oil and need constant maintenance doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Unfortunately, most of your newer vehicles are going to burn oil because of the CAFE standards, uh, which is basically the fuel economy standard that the government has put out there. In doing so, they went to a either displacement on demand, active fuel management, and low-tension piston rings. So, fantastic question. The Jeeps out there, most of them have a Pentastar-made engine, and if you want to do your own research on them, most of them come with a 3.6 liter Pentastar, and you had better be on top of your game for maintenance. So there's a lot of you out there that already own these vehicles. And then in this case, if you're looking for one, um, it has really been something that we've seen quite a bit of failure with, to be just completely honest. So how do you keep away from that failure? You had better not, and I repeat that, this is a better not follow the recommended factory maintenance schedule for those vehicles. So why would I not want to follow what the factory says? You would think they are the smartest people out there, and they do have some great engineers, don't get me wrong. However, it is kind of this big uh, push to lower the cost of ownership. If you ever have heard that term from manufacturers, they will push the maintenance schedule out farther than what I believe is in your best interest in order to lower the cost of ownership up until the point of the factory warranty going away. So they have done the research. They have built enough vehicles over the years that they know that if they push the oil change interval, say from 3,000 miles to 5,000 or 7,000 or you know even sometimes 10,000 miles, that engine or transmission or whatever the component we can we could switch up the intervals a little bit and change the outcome. But long story short, they know how long that they can neglect the vehicle in order to get it out of the factory warranty period. And I'm not just picking on Jeep here. This needs to be across the board. But if I'm going to buy something, in this case, we're talking about a Jeep, I am going to make sure that it is maintained better 
than what the factory does. Because I want to drive that vehicle a lot longer than the factory powertrain warranty or even the extended powertrain warranty. And I'm not just wanting to do more oil changes and more fluid exchanges. That's not what I'm I'm talking about. And so if you're cynical and you think that's what I'm preaching here, you're missing the point. I see the vehicles after they come out of factory warranty. And I see some vehicles go hundreds of thousands of miles with no problem. However, I see a tremendous amount of vehicles that the moment that it crosses out of that factory warranty, they're plagued with breakdown and failure after failure after failure. And I don't want that for you guys. So let's kind of circle back around to the question here. Hey, they're looking for a few-year-old Jeep. So what I would want to do is make sure that I really didn't buy one that had a lot of modifications to it because Jeep owners typically will add a lot of accessories. Now I'll talk about I'm a big accessory person personally, but why would I not want to buy one that's been uh, you know, kind of lifted or bigger wheels and tires or lots of lights or uh, lots of add-ons? Well, they look cool and they function really well when they're installed correctly, but I don't want to use Jeep that somebody has used as a Jeep, if you will. So whether it's a Wrangler, whether it's the little pickup that they make, whether it's the Renegade, whatever Jeep you want to plug in here, if you want a modified Jeep, you need to be the one to do the modifications because if somebody else has modified it, they have probably used it in a uh, in a condition that stressed the vehicle. So lots of off-roading, lots of add-on electrical. Um, you can fill in the blank with those add-ons. I want to be the one to make sure that if I'm not the one installing it, that A, it gets installed correctly, and B, from that point on, then I'll know whether it has been used and abused. I don't want to buy somebody else's used and abused piece of equipment. So if you're looking, I want one as stock as possible. If I can find one that was an elderly person, I would much rather have that one. If I can find one that's been garage kept, that would be the other thing. If I'm going to buy a Jeep and I can get one out of the city, would probably be a good bet versus somebody that lives in the rural community. And I live out in the country and I absolutely love it. And I hope that I never have to live in town. But folks that live out of town, I mean, I know I'm going to have mine out in the pasture. I know I'm going to have mine hooked to a trailer. I know that mine's going to be used accordingly. Now, the care that I give it is going to be different than most, but the life that it leads is going to be used more than somebody that lives in the city, as well as be mindful of where it was sold originally. The more south I can buy a vehicle, the the better off you're going to be. And just because you're buying a vehicle here in the central United States or the Midwest or wherever you're at, doesn't mean that that's where it came from. I see them all the time that are bought and sold here in Missouri or Arkansas, and you look up the origin and they came from, you know, someplace up north. A lot of that corrosion and damage has already started. So if I can get a vehicle that came out of Oklahoma, came out of Arkansas, Missouri, Texas, um, Georgia, all of those, I'm really going to put more effort in obtaining that vehicle or the, the Jeep in this case that I would that one came from Minnesota or Illinois or Indiana. Even when I buy a vehicle that I see come from the St. Louis or Kansas City area, there's a significant amount more rust that happens even being three or four hours north from where we're at now here in Springfield. 
that I'm going to pay more or be more apt to travel to get if I go south than going north. So, you know, I was a kid. We grew up outside of the Chicagoland area for a good part of my childhood. You see a 98 or 99 vehicle there. It's a it's a gem or it's a classic or it's rusted to death because those vehicles just didn't last. So if I'm looking for a used Jeep, I want one as stock as possible, and I will do the add-ons or pay to have the add-ons done. And I want one that I am going to make maintenance a priority because here's what happens. If you're being cynical and you think that I just want you to do more service, here's the trade-off. If you don't, you will have breakdowns, and I will guarantee you without a shadow of doubt, a repair or breakdown always costs more than maintenance up front that I can plan on. So with Jeeps and my experience with them, and I've worked on, I couldn't tell you how many over the years, the people that take care of their stuff, the cost of ownership is actually cheaper than the people that wait and let it just break down. Sarah, you think I'm being crazy out there on that one? It just is what it is. Take care of it. Otherwise, it's it, and it will take care of you because if you don't, you're going to get taken care of and it's going to cost you. But we're going to step into a break. We'll be right back in a moment. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. We've got just a little bit of time left. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, you got some news over there. Yeah, I got a couple of different things for you. Okay. First things first, Dodge and Chrysler is warning owners to stop driving several popular models after three deaths. <clears throat> oh. Yes, now Dodge and Chrysler's parent company, I I believe it's pronounced Stellantis, mm-hmm. uh, they have issued a stop drive order for owners of four models equipped with Takana airbags. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration reports that three deaths have occurred in the past seven months in cars that have not yet, excuse me, had their faulty airbags replaced. The warning is affecting the models from 2005 to 2010, Dodge Magnum, Challenger, Charger, and the Chrysler 300 sedan. Mm -hmm. So approximately 276,000 vehicles have yet to be repaired by that alert. Um, So owners of that model can check their vehicle identification number at Mopar.com forward slash recalls. So if you have one of those vehicles and you haven't got your airbag replaced or maybe you haven't got a notice yet, highly recommend having your VIN number checked to Mm -hmm. make sure that you are driving your vehicle safely. Well, those are very popular, popular vehicles out there. And I mean, I see them every Walmart I drive by and everything else. So definitely need to get those in. And that is not just the Mopar side of things. I mean, clearly that's what this is about. But those manufacturers of those airbags supply to many, many vendors out there. I know I've got a GM that's got a recall on one and I've been waiting on an airbag for a long time with it. So definitely something you need to get in and get it checked out and get it fixed because you don't want to have any uh, an instant, I guess, and expect the airbag to go off and it does not work. Um, but definitely don't drag your feet, I guess it's the long and short of it. Get in, get it fixed, stay on them about it, and you don't want to have any issues with it not working. So I'm going to share a story that I think reflects on the next one that you're going to get into. But I saw something pop up online about EV vehicles. And the video actually was, I believe it was the BMW, and I cannot remember offhand what the model of EV BMW is, 
But they literally were stalled on the side of the road and they had a gas power generator fired up sitting next to their BMW charging the battery up. Now, I'm not throwing stones about having to, you know, um, charge your EV vehicle on the side of the road. If that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. The thing that really gets my hackles up is that they're pushing this EV stuff before the technology is ready and the infrastructure is ready, as well as it is not a green initiative. So you may not be pushing hydrocarbons and uh, smog out in the air because you don't have a combustion-based vehicle, but they're not looking in account of what it takes to produce and then dispose of these vehicles. I do a fair amount of emission testing, and we're not in an emissions area here in Missouri, but I use it as a diagnostic tool on a lot of people's vehicles. And the technology is truly there on a lot of these combustion engines that they are a very clean burning source and the infrastructure is there. So barring we run out of fuel, et cetera, et cetera, these vehicles are doing a very good, reliable job and not really just a stain on the green initiative that they're painting them to be, as well as these electric vehicles are not that uh, environmentally friendly to produce, use, and dispose of, let alone you're that BMW owner that's stuck on the side of the road. So just amazes me. <clears throat> well, I do have a story that kind of goes with that. And unfortunately, we're kind of short on time, okay. but I've got little bits and pieces of it that I want to share with you. Okay. First time EV owner shares cautionary tale after it took 15 hours to drive 178 miles. Oh my goodness. After Colorado resident Alan Ohashi purchased his all-electric Nissan Leaf and became a first-time EV owner, he thought he was ready to embark on the first leg of a 2,600-mile road trip across Wyoming. But the eager traveler was faced with a harsh truth after a 178-mile route took over 15 hours to complete, when normally it would clock in at two and a half hours. Now, similar to Ohashi's, Story, the Wall Street Journal's Rachel Wolf thought a drive from New Orleans to Chicago and back in a brand new Kia EV6 she rented would be, quote, fun. Given our battery range of up to 310 miles, I plotted a meticulous route, splitting our days into four chunks of roughly seven and a half hours each. We need to charge once or twice each day and plug in near our hotel overnight, Wolf wrote. But after the four-day trip was over, Wolf claimed that she spent more time charging her vehicle than she did sleeping. It turns out that not all fast chargers live up to the name. The biggest variable according to state of charge is how many kilowatts a unit can churn out in an hour, Wolf explained. Neither Wolf nor Ohashi sounded dedicated to the idea of taking an electric vehicle on another long-distance trip. And then the article goes into, you know, infrastructure mm -hmm. and things like that. But I just thought that was kind of interesting. 178 miles, 15 hours. Well, and I guarantee the folks that are coming up with all these grand ideas, and I'm not hating on EVs. There is a place for them, and there is some good about them. But the folks that are basically ramrodding this down our throat, I guarantee they're not taking 15 hours to go 170 miles. They're going to get in something. They're not going to basically play by the rules that they're putting out there for us. And 
nor are they informed in the areas that they are making legislation about or financing. It just drives me up a wall that they think this is, and it sounds great on paper. It really does. I mean, I think that's a great representation that, oh, I meticulously planned out my my trip, and this is where the charging stations, et cetera, et cetera. The technology is not there, nor is the infrastructure. As well as we, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have an extra 15 hours to throw away on a trip that I could have done in like two and a half or three hours. It just doesn't make any sense. I got places to be, things to do, and I know all you out there listening are more than likely in the same boat. But if they keep pushing this down our throat, we're going to have to have some serious consequences. It just is not feasible. It may be someday, but today is not the day. Do I think they should continue developing the technology? Yes, I do. I look forward to working on EV vehicles because they're going to have problems. It's going to be different, and that's why I love this industry is it changes so much. Now, if I was local and I was just running around, you know, 30 miles to work, go to the grocery store, 30 miles home, recharge my system, that would be very feasible. And for a lot of folks that stay local, I think that would be a great option for you. However, I travel a fair amount. I mean, there's times, multiple times a week that I'm... 150, 200 miles from home sometimes, I have to be able to get in, refill in a timely manner and get on about the rest of my business because time is money. I don't care what business you're in out there, whether you're, you know, taking care of the kids and and you're a stay-at-home parent, which is awesome. I tip my hat to you. That is not a, uh, that is not an easy job. If nothing else, that's probably harder than what a lot of us go into work and do every week. But you got to be there. You got to get to the doctor. You got to get to the store. You got to get to work. You can't just sit there and charge and charge and charge or carry a gas power generator around with you and have that fired up and be recharging all the time. It just it boggles the mind. At some point, the technology will be there, but we're going to be a little while from it. And I need a dependable way to get from point A to point B. And again, we've talked about this hundreds of times probably on the show that when a new maker model of a vehicle come out, a new engine platform, new transmission platform, etc., I really don't want to be the beta test for that company and buying the first generation of whatever it is. And I don't want to say we're on the first generation of EV or electric vehicles. We're not. But there's a lot of pain and a lot of development that you're going through as the consumer versus the company working all the bugs out. So we're going to get there. It's probably going to take really five to seven years, in my opinion, before the technology really continues to move to a viable source of transportation more than local commuters. That's how they should be marketing these vehicles is their local commuters. And they're pretty good at that. They're not having a lot of issues within 100 miles. But once you go out further than that or you go into a towing component, you know, you look at the new Ford Lightning that's out there. It's an EV pickup truck. Cool idea. But you can tow about 100 miles before you got to pull over and recharge and let alone have a good recharging station. So definitely something to think about. And I think you had some great insights there. 
Perfect. Well, we are officially out of show. So if you are out there in Radio Land, you have a question or comment, you can reach us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743, or you can reach out to us on social media. That is at 1041KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Bye.